We are in a sermon series. We've simply just gone with Jesus on a journey through his last week on this earth before he would die on a cross. And so next week, we're going to end with the empty tomb. Uh, and we started the, the week in, uh, on a Sunday, the Sunday before he would die. We're on Friday today. He walked into Jerusalem. He came in on a donkey. Remember, we called it Palm Sunday. Uh, and then Jordan on Tuesday talked about the cleansing uh, of the temple. Uh, and then we, we talked about the washing uh, of the feet. I talked on, uh, about Judas on Tuesday. Or, I'm getting all mixed up. Sorry about that. On, on, on Tuesday, Judas betrays Jesus. And then on Thursday last week, we talked about how Jesus washed feet. And I said, listen, it's almost as if in that context... The day before Jesus would die on the cross, uh, the last hours that he had on earth, it's almost as if by him serving his disciples, it's as if it takes every excuse for why you don't have time to serve uh, out, out of your life. Like, you have time to serve. He was planning on saving the world the next day, and he still had time to wash people's feet. And so we landed there. Today, I simply want to talk to you about what I believe is the worst day of, of Jesus' life on this earth. You have a really bad day. Like if, you're, if, you have, if you have kids and you grow up in, 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 a, in, in a family kind of setting, everybody in your family is, is going to have a bad day from, from time to time. It seems like my youngest son, Harrison, he has those often. Like he just does stuff where it just, you remember the song, you had a bad day. Like, like he, he has that often. Like that should be the theme song of, of his life. And, and what I mean by that is he just tends, wherever he's at, stuff gets broken. You have one of those kids like... My first two, they lived, in, they lived in my house, one's nine, one's seven, and they've been around my house, and they've, they've done stuff in my house, and there's been things that have not, have remained unbroken, and then Harrison has borne them into my life, and the stuff just gets broken. Like, I'll give you an example. Nobody has ever broken a toilet seat in, in, in our house. Like, they've never cracked it down, down the front. That happened this week on, 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 a, on a Tuesday. I walked into the bathroom, and Harrison, first of all, he's three, and so he's just figuring out how to go in the toilet and all those things. He's attempting to wipe himself, uh, but he has already wiped himself. That might be TMI for some of you, and he is on to washing his hands. If you don't know if you ever had a toddler, the first time that, that you hear that they've wiped themselves, it, 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 pure terror hits you. You're like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I don't want to touch you because your hands are going to touch me, and I'm pretty sure your hands been places I don't want to think about. And, and so he's standing on the toilet trying to wash his hands, and after he's done, he gets down, and he has cracked the toilet seat, and he's also, by the way, he's somehow loosened the entire toilet seat off of the hinges, so the whole thing is swerving back and forth. He's having a bad day. The same day, the same day, we, we, we have my in-laws are coming to, to, to my house and ne- next week. They're going to be here for Easter, so y'all can start to, to pray and fast for that. And so uh, they're going to they're be here from Oklahoma. And so we have a guest room that we figure, you know, we should prepare. I didn't want to make it too comfortable uh, because I don't want them, you know, coming back too much. And I don't want them getting any ideas about moving to Pennsylvania. And so we got this room done, and we're, we're working on this room. We get it all done. And the same day, Harrison somehow breaks the doorknob to, 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 the, to the room. And so I had to... Then that, that night, go out. He's already broken toilet seat. That's so why I'm getting a new toilet seat and figuring out how to, you know, tighten these nut, these, these, these nut things on the toilet and, and all this stuff and you know, YouTube and all this stuff. And then it's, you got to fix this doorknob. And so same night, bring this doorknob home. I start to fix it. And I don't know how to fix a doorknob. I've never done it in, in my life. And so I figured I would attempt to fix a doorknob. And so I want to make sure I put the lock on the inside, not the outside, although that would be good for my mother-in-law. You just lock her in that, that room. And so figuring out how to do all that stuff. And I love you if you're watching. And so... Uh, as I'm doing it, I'm taking it apart and I'm putting it in, putting the, 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 the knob in and the, and the lock thing, thing here, I don't know what it's called, and the latch, and I'm putting it in, and I'm, I end up on the outside of the room, and Harrison, in the meantime, has ended up on the inside of the room, and I'm about halfway done, and he slams the door closed, and it, it locked, it got stuck, 
Like it's not done. I can't open it. I can't turn it. It is locked. And his bad day has become an awful day. 30 minutes later, his, his, my wife, what's wrong? Is he stuck? I'm like, it's his fault. This is his. This entire day is his fault, right? Everything that breaks is his fault in my house. And so I finally get the knob out so I can see through the, the hole. But the, the lock is like the thing that goes into the door is still there. I cannot get it out. And he's just looking at me. on. He's, there's a bed. He's just looking at me like this. And I'm looking through the hole. And I'm like, this entire day is your fault. This is the worst day of your life, Harrison. 30 minutes later, broken door, broken, you know, messed up frame, all that stuff. I'm, I'm putting caulk in places and putty and stuff because I don't want my father-in-law to think I can't fix stuff. And so I'm doing all that stuff. I have him out of the room and he's saved. And I put him in his bed. For the love of God, this day is over. You ever had a really bad day? Like a really bad day. I knew that was going to get you, by the way. Oh, she's going to love this story. Sometimes people ask me, do you have a laugh track at your church? I said, no. I pay somebody. And so, you ever have a really bad day? Like, I'm talking like, just, just a bad day. Did you, or maybe you just have a bad life. Like, you're going through, you've been through some, some stuff. Like serious stuff, not just like like that broken doorknob and stuff like that. Like you've been through some really difficult stuff in your life. Here's what I love about the story of Christ. Whatever you've experienced in your life, he understands because he's went through similar pain. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever has been done to you, whatever shame you carry around, whatever words have been spoken over your life, Whoever's neglected you, wherever you lick your wounds and, and stay bitter, whatever, whatever you've been through, whatever mistakes that you've, you've suffered, whatever bad days you've had, Jesus has, has chosen to, to go through so you don't have to stay there. See, this, this today that we're going to deal with Friday is what I would call the worst day of Jesus' life on, on, on this earth. But his worst day on, on this earth, it, it equals a better life for us. It equals, it equals hope for, for our lives. And so today, I want to talk to you really simply. Sometimes you have a gimmick. Sometimes you talk about parenting. Sometimes you talk about, about different things, money in church. And sometimes you just, you just drop the, the, the pretty, the cuteness, and you just talk about the cross. Sometimes you just, you just talk about the simple message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And some of you are going, hey, Easter is next weekend. You're supposed to talk about it next weekend. The cross is the only reason we have church. It's the only reason we wake up on Monday morning and we keep pushing through as a staff in the midst of problems. It's the cross. It's the only reason we don't give up and we feel like giving up. It's the only reason some of you, your life is going to change here in a moment because of the cross of, of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, the good news. The one thing I love, one of my favorite verses in the Bible was written by a man named Paul. And, and the thing I like about, about Paul is Paul, his history is he's a murderer. He's had a, some bad days in his life. Like he's done some, some bad stuff. In fact, he, he was the one in charge. If you read the Bible at all in the book of Acts, there's a great kind of outpouring of hatred towards the early church. And, and a, a young man named Stephen, he, he's the first one to be martyred for his faith. And what that means is they would kill him simply because he would not renounce Christ. And you know who was in charge of that? This man named Paul. He had a, he had a really bad past 
And then Jesus changes his life. Jesus comes into the worst moment of, of his life, and, and he changes him. And, and I love the story of Paul because not only does he change him, and he kind of becomes a name in the, in, the, in the New Testament, and so there's two parts of the Bible, he actually becomes one of the main characters in the early church. He becomes a missionary. If you read the New Testament, there's 27 books. He writes 13 of them. 13 books in the Bible are written by a dude who murdered somebody. And this is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, and I love this about the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Then it says this, As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has Life. That's always been the question, hasn't it? R- religion says, you know, here's the things you do to make yourself right w- with God. The cross says, here's what God did to make you right with himself. That he did everything that he could to get you here today so that he could change your life forever. In other words, here's what the gospel means. The gospel proves that your worst moment could not be outdone by God's best moment. At the worst moments in your life, I want you to think about them for a second. The worst moments, the moments that you have completely dropped the ball, the moments that you don't, like, like people don't even know about these worst moments, the moments you hide from everybody else, the moments that seem unrepairable in the cross, that the cross would outdo your worst moments, that your worst moments would be outdone by God's best moment. That's what the story of the cross is. The cross is the best moment that Jesus experienced on, on this earth. And so I think oftentimes we go, well, then why, 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 why a cross? Like, why did Jesus die on a, on a cross? Like, we hear that in church. You've been in church for a long time. You'll hear people say, we just sang about the blood uh, of the lamb. And some of you are freaked out about the blood. What's coming next? Snakes. And like, what's, what's going on? Why, why is it significant? Why every, I've been here a couple of weeks. Every week you talk about the cross of Christ, I want to explain to you kind of what Jesus did for you. Because what I think is the cross, the thing he died on, is not as significant as the way he died. And what I mean by that is the things that led Jesus to his death, I believe, were what, what was going to be in store for you and me. It might not have been on a Roman cross, but the way that his life ended is the end of everybody else's life on this earth. Outside of Christ, if you go with Jesus on this journey and you see the different things that happened to him, I think if you look at it, you'll go, man, this is the way a lot of people's lives end on on, on this earth. There's one thing we cannot argue. This earth is full of pain. If you live live anywhere near here, you've seen the the pain of a young girl that took her life in Springford. You you, you saw that on, on Facebook this week. If you live anywhere in this world, you will realize if you watch the news and you see the the videos from Syria, this world is full of pain and brokenness. This world is full of sorrow. This world is full of regret. This world is full of bitterness and anger and, and, and resentment. And so it's not necessarily significant what Jesus died on. I think it's more significant in how he died that you can see this is the way that your life was supposed to end. And just remember, the cross proves to us that God's best moment can outdo any worst moment in your life. And so if you come to this place and you have serious pain and serious regret and serious issues and serious mistakes, you're in good company because so did Paul. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of what Jesus has done for me. In fact, here's what the gospel says in verse John chapter 4. God showed how much he loved us 
by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Watch this. Not that we love God. I love that because religious people get this mixed up. They come in and do all this stuff and look, look at all the love I have for God. God says, you don't, the gospel is not that you love me. That's not love. Love's one directional. The gospel is that I love you. The gospel is I'm for, I'm for God. I'm for God. That's great. But the message of the Bible is God's for you. Not in a self-centered, you're the king, you're a snowflake, you're still on a throne, not like that. But in, a, in a, a sacrificial, I love you so much that I would give up my one and only son in, in your place. That's what scripture says. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our, our sins. And so I just want to take a journey with you today. I don't have any points. Usually I have like three or four points if you're here. I just want to take a journey through the last, the last moments of Jesus' life on this earth. And I want you to see yourself in this moment. If you're, if you're broken, you're, you're at the right spot. If you're, if you're hurting, you're at the right spot. If you have regret, you're at the right spot. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not a murderer, but I've lusted. I've stolen. I've killed with my mind. I definitely have hated, even as a pastor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's not my good actions that make me in right standing with God. But it's Jesus who died for me on the cross that has made me the righteousness of, Jesus, of God. And I'm not ashamed to, to talk about it. And so I just want to take a journey with you. Because some of you know the story. Uh, and you've, you've read a story. But I want you to see yourself in this story. If, you, if you're hurting, I want, you to, I want you to see yourself. And I want you to remember, your, your worst moments will not be outdone by God's, God's best moment. But the Bible says in, in the book of John chapter 19, we're going to start there. We're going to kind of read through the story of, of, of Jesus. It starts with what the Bible calls a flogging. Jesus is, is, is sentenced to death. If you've read the story, he, he's actually sentenced to death at the expense of an, an actual murderer, a, a religious zealot being let off. His name was Barabbas. The same people, if you've been here with us for the last, the last five, five weeks, the same people who shouted and praised him in, in the street on Sunday, on Friday, are, are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Which, by the way, if you live your life on, with the, on, on needing the, the, the praise of other people, you will die by the rejection. The same people that loved him, loved him, loved him, are now shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. His disciples, they're all gone. The guys that he washed their feet, he, 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 he saved them, he's been with them, he's taught them. They're all gone at this point. It's his mom and, and a woman named Mary Magdalene, and it's, it's one, one of his disciples, John. The rest of them are gone. Peter has denied him. Judas has hung himself and betrayed him. And he's about to go to the cross. And he already knows how bad it is. He's fully aware. That's why the night before he was in the garden. And the Bible says he is so under stress that he is sweating drops of of blood. He knows what he's about to go through. He even prays, God, if if anything can, can happen, if you can take this cup from me, do it. But he says, if it's your will, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And knowing it's the will of God that he would become the sacrificial lamb, that he would lay his life on the line for you and me, many people who would never even care. And he would still do that. And then it begins. On Friday, the Bible says what, what Romans did before that they, they would put you on a cross is they would do something called flogging. That's what it says in Scripture in the book of John chapter 1 or 19 verse number 1. It says, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead tip whip. Now, if you read through the Bible quickly, you'll, you'll miss it. This, 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 is when, this was an excruciating moment in a criminal's life, which, by the way, he is not a criminal. 
You are the criminal. He is dying for you. They would put the criminal on the post. They would take the two hands and they would, they would put him like this and his, his bare back, the butt, and, and the back of the legs would, would, would be pointing out. And two, two men with whips. In the, the Bible, it's not like an Indiana Jones whip, you, you know, one whip. It's, it's, the Bible calls it a cat of nine tails. If you've been in kids' church, they've showed you at some point to try to scare you. And the cat of nine tails would, would be sh- or shorter, shorter straps of leather. And in the cat of nine tails, there would be all sorts of, uh, of, of rock and, and sharp objects. And they would begin to, to whip you one at a time. Back and forth, one guy on one side, another guy on the other side. And when they would whip you, they wouldn't just whip you like this. But you can imagine if it was that kind of whip that it would go around your back and it would get stuck in your flesh. And they would, they would rip it out. And this happened over and over and over again, right to the point where you were about to die. You would, you would literally, by the end of it, your back would not even look like a back. There would be, there would be things sticking out of your back that should not be, be sticking out. Uh, they would have whipped you in the back, the butt, the legs, sometimes the face. Sometimes it would get so bad on your back, they would flip you over and they would whip the front of you. And they would take you right to the point before you were, were dead. It was meant to embarrass you, to, to shame you, to, to make you feel bad. And, and in this moment, if I was thinking about, about life, because I'm a pastor and so I try to, I, I like to people watch and you know, that's who I talk to for a living, and so I like to pay attention to, to people's stories. When I was thinking about this, I thought, man, blow by blow, this beating was meant to rip out pieces of, of his flesh, leaving him, him scarred in half the person that he once was. And as I stepped back from, from that, I thought, man, that's exactly what life does to people. Blow by blow, whack, whack. Every blow that you receive gets ripped out, and then when it's ripped out, what happens? Parts of you get taken with it. And you look people in the eye and you think to yourself, you're not who you were supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, see, I see you're alive, but, but you're only half the person you were supposed to be. You're only half the person God created you to be. You're dealing with all sorts of trouble, all sorts of anxiety, all sorts of, of fear. You're, you're weathered in your looks. You ever see somebody you look in their eyes and they're alive, but they're not really there. And I think this is representative of how people kind of experience the end of their life. It begins with them kind of walking through this life, just being kind of alive, but not really being there. Experiencing pain. Some of you carry the weight of pain uh, uh, around with you. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse number 10, that this is exactly what Satan does. It says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and, and, and destroy. In other words, this life steals everything from people everything all your hopes all all, all your dreams all your desires steals your innocence i don't know if you ever experienced that but you kind of see a young kid and they're born into a harsh world and by the time they get to an adult you don't even have to wonder how they got to that point because their innocence has been robbed from them they've been flogged over and over and over again by lies and by temptations and, and, and by trials and by the time you even get to the point where you could have something significant happen in your life you just barely are walking this is what Jesus would have looked like i mean he would have hardly been able to get up like we we watch cartoons you read the story quickly but they would take people right to the brink of death like right to the brink of, of death you're barely breathing you barely look like who you were and so they flogged him over and over and over again, but it gets, it gets worse. In John chapter 19, verse number 2, it says, Then the soldiers, they twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 
They clothed him in purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. This wasn't like a, like a rose, rose bush crown of thorns. This was like some, some massive thorns. Because you just imagine, Jesus is, is beaten. He's flogged. I mean, his flesh is hanging. So we don't, even need to, we don't even need to get into, really, I don't have time to get into them putting a piece of cloth on his back. Could you imagine that? They put a piece of cloth on his back that would get seeped and sucked into the wounds that he was carrying. And then they came and they took, the Bible says, a crown of thorns. And they stick it on his head and they twist it around. And can you just imagine the excruciating pain that he begins to experience? Not, not to mention the nerve damage and the, and, and, and the pain that he's going through in his back. But now he has this crown of, of thorns in his head. And it's excruciating in, 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 his, in his mind. And I started to think about it. And I think it would be like not only the mistakes that you have made, but then maybe worse than the mistakes that you've made, the pain, the physical pain, is the, is the spiritual or emotional torment of the, of the mistakes. The thing inside of you that, that is shaming you right now. I read a poem about, about shame, and this is what it says. It says, oh, how much I'm familiar with you, shame. My shame, I know who you are, when you are there, when you disguise yourself, repeat yourself over and over and over again like a broken record. You're pervasive, delusional, cunning, subtle, destructive. Why do I feel your, your power, your insidious voices that judges, curses, hates all that I am? I'm not good enough. You told me so, and I believed you. I'm worthless. I'm a shame body. So I wonder how many people deal with that. I've done a few funerals in my, in my day. I've done more than, more than, more than one that, where the person had taken their life. And sometimes people say, man, how could you get to that point where you think it is better for you to take your life than it is for you to live? Shame. Shame. It's a voice in your head that says there's no way out. It's a voice in your head that says you're not good enough. It's a voice in your head that says you don't deserve it. It's a voice in your head that says God has given up on you. This is the way our life is, is supposed to end. We're supposed to get to the end of our life. And not only are we dealing with the physical mistakes that we've made in our past, but many of you are carrying around with you the emotional baggage. You're a mistake. You should be full of shame. There is no way out. Even when you come into church, you hear a voice, a voice of lies, by the way, because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But you come in here today and all you hear is shut your mouth. Don't say a word. You're not better. You're not good enough. Everybody else in that room is better than you. Everybody else sitting beside you has your act together, which, by the way, the person beside you hearing the exact same voice. If you would just look to your left or your right, you realize there was a Paul sitting there. There was somebody sitting there that would say, you know what, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was the power to save even me. So Jesus has a crown of thorns on, on his head. Let's keep walking with them. This is maybe the, the, the hardest part. I don't know if you ever watched the like movie with Jesus in it, but this one is always hard for me to watch. He's been beat. He's, he's been flogged. He's been mocked. He's had his back. People turned their back on him. He's done no wrong. And over and over and over again, I think he's doing it for me. 
And then it gets even worse. The Bible, it says in John 19, it continues in verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of of Jesus. He has the crown of thorns, the purple robe. He's been beaten almost to death. And then it says this. They made him carry his own cross. And he goes up to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Do you imagine this for a moment? He's made to carry his instrument of death to his death. In other words, this is like the public spectacle that many of you feel like you're under of you carrying the thing that's going to kill you to your very death. Like you are just destined to be an addict. You, you are just destined to deal with lust. You are just destined to, to never get over the past. You are just destined to have a, a marriage that's going to fall apart. You are just destined. This is the voice in your head saying it's never going to get better. In fact, not only is it not going to get better, you're going to carry this to the place where you're going to die. on. That's Jesus. He's actually carrying th- th- this cross to, to his death. To the, to the point where the Bible says in one passage that he can't even carry it anymore and he has to, they have to get somebody to help him get here. That's how bad he, he's been beaten. And I think to myself, man, how many people do I run into? That's their life. They've been beaten so bad. I love what scripture says about, about when you come to Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 11. And if you've been to church here, I've read this many times. But the Bible says in verse number 20 in Matthew 11, it says, Come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And then it says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Some of you carrying around stuff you're not supposed to carry around. Some of you struggling right now, and you don't need to struggle. Some of you waking up every morning thinking about things that you did in the past, And it's already been paid for. Some of you are saved. And you're still going over the mistakes that you've made in the past. You're thinking about things that God has said, I forgot about. When you asked me forgiveness, I forgave you as far as the east is from the west. They get Jesus on the cross in John chapter 19, verse number 19. They nail through his hands. They nail through his ankles. They put him up on the cross, probably naked. When they put you on the cross, they didn't put you super high in the air like you see many times in, in Bible stories. They actually put you low enough to where people can make eye contact with you so that they could watch the excruciating pain you were going, in, going through. You have a hard time breathing because you're, you're suffocating because your body's going down. Every time your body goes down, it pulls on your, on your hands. You can imagine a nail through your hand, and then you push yourself up. And when you push yourself up, it hurts your ankles. This was the most excruciating pain you could ever ever imagine. In fact, the word excruciating comes from the crucifixion. Jesus is going through this for us. And then they come up to him in John chapter 19, verse number 19. It says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. I read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And when the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, the chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. In other words, this was a sign of mockery. They were mocking Jesus. They were labeling him the very final thing. Here's what you are. And some of you can relate to this because you've been labeled in your life. At the end of your life, they're going to label you. Here's who this person was. Here's who that. They're going to talk nicely about you at your funeral. Because they have to, because you have to do that. 
But the truth is, the label that they're going to carry with you is there was a mistake. That guy was angry. That guy was bitter. That person was mean. That person treated me like garbage. That person couldn't get off drugs. That person couldn't stay faithful to their to their spouse, that person, whatever you're, you're, you're struggling with, this is the final label of all the mistakes that you've done, which, by the way, is exactly what Satan wants to happen. He wants to slap a label onto you that you can't get, get rid of. And then the last thing that happened, if you keep going, is I think this is so powerful. And, John, and I'm going to skip to Matthew 27, verse number 45, and it gives us a little bit of what Jesus was saying on the cross. And I think it's so interesting. He says a lot of powerful stuff. And I've had a lot of time. I could do a whole sermon series off the things that he said. Like he said one time, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think he prays that for people every week that come into church and still walk away and spit in the face of grace. And God says, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they still aren't aware of what they do. And then I think he even says, bring them back next week one more time. Open their eyes. Like, I, it's unreal that Jesus could pray those words. But then he also prayed these words in the, in the Bible. In verse number uh, 45 of Matthew 25, 27, he says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. Which means, thank you for telling us what it means. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the most profound theological points of the cross is, is God cannot look at sin. He's holy, he's just, and he's righteous. And he cannot look at your sin. Let's not, let's not be too pretty with this. You're a sinner, and your sin deserved to be on that cross. Every sin you've ever committed, it separated you from, from God. And the Bible says at the end of your life, that when you got to heaven and you stood before the judge, the righteous judge God, that because of your sin and because God can't look upon your sin, that that he would say these words to you, depart from me, for I never knew you. And here's the thing about it. Every person in this church was destined to hear those words. I don't care how confirmed that you are what age you were baptized, where your tombstone, and what cemetery, at what church it is. I don't care how many mommies and daddies that you've had at a church, that when you were born on this earth, you were born a sinner. And you sinned over and over and over again. And you might not be as bad as the person next to you, or you might find somebody that's much worse than you, but the Bible says even your best acts are a filthy rag in the sight of a holy God. And someday you would have stood before God. And apart from what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago, you would have heard, depart from me, I never knew you. You deserved hell. And what happened in this situation is one of the most profound acts of love that, that any person has ever, I think it is the most profound act. As as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the weight of your sins and my sins were going to be put on his life. And because the weight of the sins that were put on his life that he was dying for, and his father in heaven, because he can't look at sin, he turns away. And in a moment of aloneness and despair, after he's been whipped, he's been nailed, he's had a crown of thorns put on his head, he's done all this for you and me. 
The worst part is he feels the weight of his father turning from him. Turning from him. Father, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus is becoming what you are right now so that you could one day be who God created you to be. And then, and then he dies. And they take him off the cross. I should just say come back next week to hear part two. But I'll give you a little bit of insight since you already know the story. He dies. It's over. The Bible says in verse number 50 of John 19, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. I I love those words. He gave up who he was. For you, some of you that would never care. He gave it up for you. And it's over. And this should be the end of us all. Friday was and and is our ending point. His end should be the way that our life ends. The event after event that steals your identity. The constant shame. The heavy burden of carrying your greatest mistakes. The final label that you've earned. The final time God has to turn away. Scripture says, I don't have time in Matthew 27 to read it to you. That they come and they take his body and they place it in a tomb of a rich man, a rented tomb. The Savior of the world doesn't even have his own tomb. You know why? Because he wasn't planning on staying there. They place him in a tomb. And the Bible says that they had heard there was a rumor that he was coming back. And they didn't want that to happen. So Scripture says they sealed it up. They placed Roman guards in front of it. These were some of the, the most highly trained, skilled, tough men in the world. And they guarded this because they didn't want him to come back. They sealed it with the Roman tomb. And the message was, this is over. And listen, on Friday, your life is over. Some of you in Friday right now, no matter how hard you try, your life's over. No matter how hard you run, you're still going to struggle. No matter how much you prove, you're still going to remember those words that have been said against you. You're still going to struggle. Friday is the end, but that's not the end of the story for Jesus. doesn't have to be the end of the story for you. See, here's what I know. The Bible, the Bible says in Matthew 28 that they go back to get his body and he's, he's gone. We're going to talk about this next week. He's, he's risen from the dead. We're going to talk about a little bit of resurrection power. There's somebody you know in, in, in your life. They need the resurrection power to come into their life. They need, they need the breath of God to breathe life into dead parts of their life. Because he, here's what I know. On Friday, Jesus was scorned, but on Sunday, he was revered. On Friday, he was betrayed. On Sunday, he was defended. On Friday, he was broken. On Sunday, he's whole. On Friday, he was stabbed, beaten, and discarded. On Sunday, he was mended, healed, and history's treasure. On Friday, he was a sin. On Sunday, he's a savior. You see, that Sunday was most definitely better than Friday. Because on Friday, he's dead. But on Sunday, he's alive. Sunday's better than Friday. On Sunday, you're lost. On Friday, you're lost. On Sunday, you're found. On Friday, you have no hope. On Sunday, they give you the keys to the castle. On Friday, you're alone. On Sunday, you're embraced. Friday, you were broken, trampled, and desperate. On Sunday, you are mended, lifted up, and confident. On Friday, you were as good as dead. And on Sunday, because he's alive, you live forever. Friday has nothing on Sunday. If you're in Friday right now, just stick with it. One moment. Give him a little bit of time. Keep sticking it out. Keep breathing. 
He still has a good purpose and a good plan for your life. Sunday is coming. For some of you, Sunday's here today. You've been in your Friday. You're almost dead. You're almost out of breath. You've almost given up. But if Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and in fact He rose from the dead, that there is still hope for you today. In a bad day, in a bad moment, you make a lot of mistakes. The cross of Christ proves that God's best can outdo your worst. Would you stand with me?